Thanks. Welcome. Good afternoon. And welcome again to Think Tech Hawaii. Uh, maybe evening for some of you, maybe morning for others, wherever you may be. Thank you so much for joining us. And today we have another all-star group who have been with us from time to time, fortunately. Uh, Sandra Sims, retired judge from the state of Hawaii and noted author, working on your second book now, right? And you're on mute. <laughs> and Tina Patterson from Germantown, Maryland. See, I'll get through a whole year without putting you in New Jersey. <laughs> you're perfectly fine. I'll go wherever you send me, Chuck. Okay, mediator, arbitrator, business consultant and strategist and uh, jack of many trades or Jacqueline of many trades, I should say. Uh, Louise Ng, partner in one of the, not just the countries, but one of the world's largest law firms. And noted most of all here for her community service. And very recently, Louise and another panel did a session as we do on social justice issues called Burning Issues. It's gonna be rebroadcast on Think Tech, 10 a.m. Hawaii time, Friday, February 11th. That'd be 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. For those of you watching and would like to tune in, excellent, excellent panel, former Governor John Waihei, Louise, Professor Neil Milner, who's always outspoken and insightful. So we encourage you folks to enjoy that. So for today, this being Black History Month, we're looking not only at Black history, but at the role of Black history in the controversies on teaching of history and literature and subjects generally going on now. What role do you think the growth of Black history has had in bringing these issues to the front and getting them out face-to-face -face with all of us? Sandra? I think it's had a profound impact um, because, you know, there are more and more people now that are certainly aware and listening and looking to see, you know, the issues that come up during Unfortunately, just in February, hopefully we'll carry it out. But the other side of it that seems to be uh, uh, coming up, and it's actually kind of troubling to me, is this notion of, of uh, what people are, the critical race theory, you know, uh, objections, which focus on, um, at least the ones I've read and heard about, focus on not having information that's going to make people, make, well, particularly white people, uncomfortable. And I find that so terribly troubling to me um, with that's the approach to history. I think in this country, you know, if you, you know, any, well, just in the history of the world, Black people have in, in, endured some in, in, in incredible um, injustices and harm and, and violence and um, all sorts of things that such that, that are a part of our, our history. And we live it, we know it, it happened. Um, but we still carry on because we have to. Uh, and that's the other part of it. So to suggest that 
you shouldn't learn some things because they make you uncomfortable um, is, is, is just patently offensive to me. But I'm glad to see that more and more people are seeing and learning things about our Black history every day. And, and that's encouraging. And as you indicate, there's a lot that is still unknown. If we did a poll of yeah. leading Black figures in history, pick a name, Fannie Lou Hamer, for example, and asked high school graduates how many of them recognize that name or could tell us who she was. Yeah. Do we hit 10%? I Probably doubt it. Not. Probably not. Okay. So, Dana, Luis, what do we need to do about this? All right. I think Tina should go first. <laughs> okay. Wow. Thank you, I mean, Louise. These conflicts, are taking places. <laughs> these conflicts are in school boards. They're in schools. There are Republican Party leaders who are saying they're going to make opposition to teaching of critical race theory a main part of their platform for 2022, and they think it's a winner for them. Even though it's not taught in schools, critical race yeah. theory is not taught mm -hmm. in schools. Just, and just they have no idea what it really is. Exactly. It, it, if you it's ask any of those Republican leaders who their bell is, how many of them you, would you think would know or could tell you anything about him? Yeah. Or any of the successors? Or the Pulitzer Prize winner who was denied tenure at North Carolina? Yeah. It's all of that. So how is this all coalescing? Where is the trigger point, Tina? The trigger point is seeking information or knowledge um, and looking at it from the non-traditional perspective. Um, many of the things that Sandra talked about, we know about because someone recorded it, whether they recorded it orally or whether it was recorded on paper. And when we're seeing this type of pushback, we, we have to look at other means and, and, and make sure that our children are taught, that they're informed, that they're aware, whether that is through documentaries. And I know people usually roll their eyes when you think of a documentary, but think about the women who worked for NASA and their stories were untold. And the only reason that we know about them was because they were featured in a movie and we wouldn't have known otherwise. I mean, there's there's scenes that are heartbreaking, but the fact that this woman was a, literally a math genius, and she's it's not just her story. There are other stories that we're finding out about, and it's it's having it's that dialogue and looking at non-traditional ways of educating, whether that is coming together in community and talking. Um, I, I'm concerned, just as was indicated earlier. The, the, the misinformation, the misunderstanding, and the, the wrong application of terms. Critical race theory is not what, what we're hearing at all. It, it, it literally is how race has been applied, whether that is directly or indirectly in law, and how it's impacted mm -hmm. our way of life. It's, 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 it's nothing to be I'm not going to say it's nothing to be ashamed of because I think there are people who feel shameful about what has happened in the past and there are shameful things that did happen. 
but if we are going to look at our future, we've got to look at what we did in the past, correct what we can and learn from what, what, what didn't work or where, where we made mistakes. And we've made some grave mistakes, but th does it mean it's over? Absolutely not. It just means that this is a time for us to, to re regroup, rethink and move forward. I think we do our children an injustice when we tell them that um, we, we that we don't want to tell them things, especially about the past, because they see it. They they're they're um, inquisitive. They want to know. They they notice things. Um, and the more knowledgeable they are, the more opportunity there is for them to be successful and take that baton moving forward. I'll stop there because I want Louise to have an opportunity. <laughs> Well, and I think that everything you've both said goes to the importance of and the power of storytelling and the importance of history. And, you know, the whole issue of critical race theory. I mean, I have friends, a friend of professor friends who've written a book about it. I never did understand it myself. And I'm sure that the people opposing it don't understand a word of it themselves either. But I do think we do need a critical thing in education. That's critical thinking. We need to, they need to be taught critical thinking and to weigh what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Um, and I was heartened, I think, as I emailed all of you that yes. this week I read about a group of mothers from suburbia, um, interracial group, who are trying to fight back by, you know, going to school boards we're trying to suppress information and really encouraging them and telling the story of how you need to be affirmative. These are the things that kids need to learn. And I, I think that, um, you know, the importance of heritage months, for instance, are the focus on learning the history of particular groups. And that's how we can move forward. Um, I think I've mentioned before, Sandra, you had mentioned that book, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. That is so powerful in terms of telling stories that I'm sure many of us not in the Black community have not heard about the whole migration and all of the horrible treatment, mistreatment that led to that migration from the South to other parts of the U.S. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, that's, that's, that's a key point. I think it's just understanding all around for, you know, for Black Americans and for other other groups as well, whose histories and stories have not been told. We're noting today that it was yesterday that uh, one of the schools in town, Central Middle School. Oh, uh, so cool. The, the, it's, it's, it's a historic place and it was the site of um, uh, King, Princess Leo Kalani's residence. And then it was school was built there, but then they changed the name of the school because was, well, they say they say the name was changed because people could can't pronounce it. I mean, it's so why? Come on, that's one of the things you need to learn to do is to pronounce names. That's you live. This is and so for years and years and years, just you know, the students who went to that school, which is in a central part of Honolulu, uh, it has a population that you know is largely low income or with you know people who are immigrants to this country as well from you no. Know, from other countries. And so it is even more important that that kind of history be taught in a place like that. You know, our, our group has done some work at that school and a good number of the students um, are houseless. And so you, you know, we would, they had an actual um, um, pantry at the school so that on the weekends, 
you know, kids could take home food, take to their places food, because the concern was that they would not um, have a meal until Monday or got the bit of on a holiday or before days. So this is a school where it is important, you know, to provide those kinds of stories and images and, and understanding of, of the historical context, particularly of a place that they were in that would help them to see themselves, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a different way and to, you know, to aim, you know, aim for, let's just, you know, to look at how they perceive their lives. And so that was, kind of, I looked at that and it's like, wow, okay. It was a big ceremony to change the name back to what it was in the beginning. When did we start doing that kind of stuff? You know, when you think about it, it was a, a long, long time to take away the name because I don't know how to say it. Ke'ili Kolani, I think. Yeah. yeah, it went from central to Ke'ili Kolani, which is so cool. Yeah, because it was Ke'ili Kolani first, but yeah. went to central <laughs> because we can't say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that leads us to as biased, as repressed, as misleading as Black history education has been in this country, the story of how the indigenous Native American people in this country and the indigenous Hawaiian people in this country have been treated has been even more thoroughly suppressed. The residential schools, the separation of children from their families, mm -hmm. truly brutal. And we're starting to see leading authors and works come out. Isabel Wilkerson, yes. Louise Erdrich, with her works on Native American experience and others. But you've hit on the crux of it, is we have to be able to talk about this. And exactly. the schools are the most open and protected and safe place for that to happen. You've got adult teacher moderators to manage those communications. If you can't have them in the schools, they're going to have happen in the groups that lead to things like January 6th. Yeah. And there are connections between those things. So how do we bring about those communications, those exchanges on the things that we need to talk about? And where do we do it? Who takes the lead? Mm. I, I think the power of Zoom, you know, another thing we have to thank COVID for is getting more used to Zoom. And it seems like that's really expanded yeah. our access to content. And I remember early on during COVID, um, you know, listening while I was working in the kitchen, listening to speakers on Black history and including Doug Jones, who was a white lawyer, but who worked during the civil rights period. And, uh, you know, those we just need to keep telling the stories in as many forums as we can. Movies, TV shows. I know sometimes when I see a historical movie or show, it makes me want to read more about the people involved. Um, and of course, we need to reach out to educators. That would be interesting to get some educators on your panel, Chuck, see, and to yeah, see their thoughts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's good. That would be good. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the Zoom has been, um, it's got the pluses and the minuses, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's certainly done that. And, and also other forms of social media. I've noticed that on um, 
um, at least on my uh, Facebook feed, um, quite a few people are posting stories about Black history. You know, I know one, uh, one of my friends, he's just taken it upon himself to post something every day about a figure in Black history um, that, that's not so well known. And it's, it's been kind of fascinating, kind of watching and seeing. So um, that's happening. And he's got quite a, quite a network. And that is happening. And I saw something the other day that kind of fascinated me. It was um, um, an element. I, I wish I had saved the article. Um, but an elementary school teacher um, was teaching um, about slavery. I mean, you can't ignore slavery. I mean, it, it, it happened. And what she did, instead of you know going into, I, I don't know exactly how teachers do this teaching, but what she had done was taken news articles on slave auctions, sales, just taken the newspaper itself, you know, printed copies of what the paper said, this is so-and-so, um, for sale, this is Mary, she's for sale, this is the child, Mary's son or Mary's daughters for sale, and this is her husband, but they can be separate. I mean, they were the actual articles and gave it to the kids and asked that what they were doing was to create um, a story off of just seeing that, not telling them necessarily this is just, what do you think about that? And the things that they, what the kids came up with, um, one was, I mean, because they're children and they came up with things like I would, I would give them some music so they can come together and, you know, uh, I play a guitar and let them sing together so they wouldn't be separated or they wouldn't. I mean, they came with things that children would think of to do in that situation. Seeing, it's like, I'm not sure why that has to happen that way. Why are they for sale? Why is it, you know, it's, it's it can't be, but it was interesting to kind of just see their reaction. Again, it's back to what Louise was talking about, critical thinking. It's just thinking. It's not about, um, you know, indoctrination. It's just sitting there and saying to a child, what do you think about something like this happening to someone that you know? What would you think? What would you feel? What do you feel? What do you see? And take yeah. it from there. Yeah, I think there's big, big and little ways. I'm really happy with our, one of our legal firm administrators, a person who oversees staff, we have a daily news e-news e that goes out. And so she started during COVID using it to, um, you know, just tell little stories. It's a Black History Month. There's always a little story about a, a figure from Hawaii history or U.S. history and the same with other heritage months. So we get a little education along with um, mm -hmm. the news of the day. Um, so I'm really happy and proud of her that she's doing that. Oh, that's good. And in Hawaii, we know that if anyone were to suggest that our schools could not teach or talk about the Japanese internment, that that oh would be God. nowhere. Oh my God. <laughs> you, can you imagine? <laughs> not just because the Japanese American population here is one of our largest groups, and one of our most prominent and most respected, but because we've all grown up understanding our connection between and among the different population groups, the different sectors, and the importance of each one. Yeah. We had a comedian, Rap Replinger, who said, Hawaii is not a melting pot. It's a salad bowl. <laughs> We've got radishes and mangoes and 
cucumbers and all kinds of exotic things in there and everything has its place and its value. And even, even then, you know, there's still stories that need to be told. Um, you know, we don't have enough information. We need more about the concentration camps that existed on yes. Oahu and yes. on Sand Island, Honolulu. Yes. Um, and, you know, even now, the story of how the government, you know, hid uh, or manipulated the information that was considered to justify internment camps. You know, that those films have only come out in the last few years. So it's still a continuous learning process. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for all of those points in history. And it's taken a galvanized resistance that's come from people heavily involved in the educational institutions and industry. Eric here, who was one of the people instrumental in bringing Fred and the interned prisoners cases. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, Fred Koimatsu, yeah. Yeah, and over Yeah, 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 that, that, yeah, that, that was another powerful piece. I, mm -hmm. I sat in on, um, um, a discussion the other day on um, Patsy Mink and the work of Patty oh, Nye. That would be that's fascinating too. And um, and, and and Tina it was interesting because uh, one of the panelists was um, um, our own uh, Supreme Court Justice Sabrina McKenna, and ah. uh, she um, I mean she just told her story, and a lot of people on that acknowledging the group that they did not know her story. Um, she is, um, you know, part Japanese. She grew up on a, um, a military base in Japan, and she got to play basketball because, you know, she was on a base and they could play. But then when she went to to high school and the college, to high school, there was no such thing as girls playing basketball or girls playing sports at all. And it wasn't until she got to UH and met up with Dr. Uh, Thompson, Donna Thompson, who at that time had just been appointed as the first women's athletic director and she's african-american from chicago and she um um title nine had just been enacted a few years earlier and they gave her a scholarship she says i played basketball who knew <laughs> she didn't even know it existed and she got to play basketball they gave her a scholarship because she said she was good and, and well she was because she'd gotten to play but now just hearing her story and you think about it that wasn't that long ago you know, the notion yeah. of, you know, girls in athletics and, and sports, she's, you know, she's, she's our, she, it wasn't that long ago. And, and here we are. Another of those stories that we just mm -hmm. need to keep letting people know. She went on to, you know, get to get, go to law school and become an attorney and she's on the Supreme Court now. How about that? It was a wonderful, I even learned something just flying an airplane and watching one of the Hawaiian Airlines free programming. It was about um, Title IX and the growth of Wahine sports at UH. And I, I just saw another dimension of Pat Mink and Donna's Thompson and people that as a kid, you didn't really pay attention to. But again, it was the history and the storytelling that made you appreciate what they went through to bring Wahine sports to the UH. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Donna's was just like, amazing to me she uh oh man we could do stories about her but yeah there's and i think it's important sharing the stories because 
when we are when we are doing that and we learn what people have gone through, what they had to go through to to just exist or to do something that they cared about doing um, because there were all these obstacles and things in their way. It just, oh man. I mean, I, I, I think about my own dad. I mean, he, things just didn't happen because it wasn't allowed. You know, he wanted to go to school, but he wasn't allowed to go to college. He just, because mm -hmm. in that area, just, you didn't let, you know, black people couldn't go. Simple as that. And- Tina, um, you have some thoughts on your mind. Yeah. Actually, I didn't. I was just thinking. Well, I did. All right, let me just say it. You for do those have thoughts, man, girl. I do have. We, we know better. I do have thoughts. I, I guess I would say this because we're talking about at the again community. Um, for those who can, run for school board. Get on your PTA. Be a volunteer. It, it, it's it's at that grassroots level. And yes, it takes time, it takes energy, and sometimes running for school board takes money. But if you can't be a school board member, support your school board. Show up at yeah. the meetings, write letters, be that yeah. pain that, and, and make sure that, that children have an opportunity to learn and be thoughtful and creative and inquisitive about the world around them. Otherwise, we're all going to think the world is flat again. And we know that's not. <laughs> I thought we were all done with that. <laughs> no, no, but that's excellent. That's, that's an idea, Tina. Yeah, that's a great Even, idea. Yeah, yeah, just simply going to volunteer at your at the school. It doesn't have to be your kid's school, but you know, during Black History Month, just go in and you know, offer well, not any any time, you know, to 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 be a part of, you know, the programs and things that take place at schools. That's an excellent idea. Excellent idea. Yeah. And, and I think you folks have really hit on it. I mean, this is something that we see happens when three truly amazing leadership women come together and share intuitions and insights and experiences. If we could gather the coalitions and the stories of the people who have struggled the most to be able to be the kind of examples and leaders that you are, that Camille Nelson is, that Danielle Conway is, that the other 26 Black women law school deans, we're now up to 28 nationally, are. Yeah. Those stories, children would love those stories. Youth would love those stories. People would love those stories. So you got to wonder, people who don't want those stories to be shared, yeah. to be talked about, to be discussed. Why? Where is that fear, that insecurity coming from? And we're in our last couple of minutes, so final thoughts on that? It was really hard. The other thing that heartened me was that uh, the pushback. So there was a book that was banned by an Alabama school board called Mouse, a kid's book about the Holocaust. And what resulted is that the sales shot way up, not just in Alabama, but nationwide. And so we need to fight back and fight for knowledge. Yes, absolutely. I like that. And I think more of that is happening. Fight for your knowledge. There you go. <laughs> I like that. So as we wrap up for today, maybe that's the image to leave us with, which is not the image of the book burning. But of the nearby bookstore <laughs> that put all the banned books out. Yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> and it's stable. Exactly. And that photo went Absolutely. Exactly. So this think tech group and that bookseller are peas in the same pod. Thank you all for joining us. Come back and see us again. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Take care, be well, be safe, stand up, speak up, speak out. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you. Aloha. Uh,